Good morning. If you have a Bible, please go to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, if you're following along in a pew Bible, that's page 1016. I also want to let you know that uh, out in the atrium, we have our angel tree uh, where we support and love on our foster children. There are only 27 tags left. If you would like to go by and grab one of those after the service and help us complete the task of taking care of our foster kids in our region. I call them our foster kids because they are in our region, and God calls us to love on them. This is a special time of the year when we get to do that. So go out and grab a tag, if you don't mind, on your way out. We're in week one of a series entitled Life Along the Way. And not just week one, this is day number one. And the reading today is Luke chapter one, verses one through four. We'll be looking at that here in just a few moments. But this is a 52-week journey, 365 days of daily walking with Jesus as we travel this road and see how he changes our lives. And again, today is day number one. If you have not gotten a hard copy or a digital copy of the devotional guide and you would like that, you can get that in the atrium as well. Let's pray. And then we're going to get started. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we just ask that you would speak to us. Lord, would you give us ears to hear, hearts to receive what it is that you have for us. Lord, would you forgive our sins for they are many. Help us see Jesus, just Jesus. Through Jesus we pray. And everybody said, amen. God made a choice. God made a choice. And I am so thankful that he did. The choice that God made impacts my life and your life. It influences my life and your life, either directly or indirectly. And through this choice that God has made, we we get knowledge and understanding. We, We get these glimpses of who God is, and we understand his character and his nature just a little bit more. Through God's choice... Not only do we gain knowledge and understanding, but we also are issued an invitation. Through this choice, we gain clarity about life. Through this choice, we get answers to some of life's most troubling questions. The choice that God made that has drastically changed my life and your life is simply the fact that God has chosen to speak. He's chosen to talk to us. We have a God who has not left us in the dark. We have a God that has not left us to wonder or assume. But we have a God who has chosen to take the realities of heaven and translate those into earthly words and then communicate those words to us so that we can comprehend who he is, so that we can comprehend and understand what he has done for us, so that we can comprehend and understand where he is taking us. God has made a choice. And that choice is to speak to us. Others have made choices as well. While God has chosen to speak, many throughout history have chosen to seek him and listen to him so that they may understand the oracles of heaven and then share those mysteries with the rest of the world. And this is exactly what Luke has done. Luke, the writer of the gospel that bears his name. Many point out that Luke's account of the life of Jesus is composed in a classical style for that time period. It displays Luke's educational background, and also it reveals a historical purpose for writing this narrative. However, the type of education that Luke received in his life only prepared him 
to write or chronicle out this narrative of the most famous person to ever live. And as his narrative opens up, even though it has many twists and turns throughout it, it begins with these simple words, Luke 1, 1 and following. Luke says, insomuch as many have undertaken to complete a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account. Right here, as Luke opens up his gospel, I believe there are seven facets of his story that we see here. There are seven facets surrounding Luke's work in penning this gospel. First, he says that many have undertaken this task. The account of Jesus' life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, his appearance, his ascension, it's spreading like wildfire in the first century. Many people are hearing this good news, and many are hearing it obviously for the first time. Mark has already written his gospel at this point, and others are writing about the events that have taken place in Jerusalem. And again, this is spreading far and wide. And so Luke says that many people have taken up this task to write about these things. But number two, he says that many have taken up the task of compiling a narrative. Compiling a narrative. That's very particular language. People are not only sharing the good news, they're sharing the story, the larger story of the good news. And I put it that way because the narrative is important. The narrative is important because it is recounting all the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled in his life. The narrative is also important because Jesus is reliving and retelling humanity's story. The human story that is soaked with sin. Jesus is reliving out this story for us. It was our story that began in the garden with temptation that resulted in death coming into the world. But it's Jesus' story as he begins his ministry. He's in the wilderness facing temptation. He went to the cross that we deserve, but he also brought life. And in so doing, he is reversing the curse, if you will, that we have been under by reliving the human story with his life. Luke also tells us that many were writing about the things that have been accomplished among us. That's a very important phrase. Luke is uh, taking us and telling us that what Jesus did in his incarnation, in his life, in his ministry, his death, his resurrection, his appearance and ascension, was that he accomplished something among us so that something could be accomplished within us. And that something that we will see as the gospel unfolds is salvation itself. The whole story of Jesus is a story of salvation. While he's reliving humanity's story, he's also bringing with it, instead of the curse of sin, he's bringing liberation and freedom and salvation that we all desperately want and desire. Luke also says that many of the people that he has talked to are eyewitnesses. These are people who saw Jesus walk on water. These are people who saw Jesus feed the multitudes. They saw him heal the sick. They saw him cast out demons. They saw him comfort the afflicted. They saw him call out the religious elites. They saw the crucifixion. 
They witnessed the resurrection. Hundreds and hundreds of people saw the resurrected Jesus. And now they're going around telling the story and Luke has talked to them. But not just eyewitnesses. People who saw Jesus do something. Luke tells us that many of those he talked to are ministers of the word. Meaning, not only did people see Jesus do some things, what they saw so radically changed their life that it compelled them to spend their life sharing that experience with others. They're ministers of the word. They are heralds of Jesus, if you will. And so while Luke is investigating, he's talking to people who saw Jesus do all of these amazing things. But then he also talks to a group of people who have completely given their lives to sharing the Jesus story. And Luke tells us that he has followed all things closely. Notice that language. Luke has, with painstaking scrutiny, analyzed and investigated the claims and the stories all the way back to the very beginning. What Luke has done has been to kind of be a first century historical journalist. He has investigated these claims closely. It means that he's interrogated them, if you will. And so what Luke does, he says, that he has written his own orderly account. Orderly account. That phrase, orderly account, it speaks to the historicity of what he is writing, but it also speaks to the particular way in which he's going about this particular narrative. And what Luke is going to say to us is, here is what I have found, and here is what I have found to be true. Here is what I found from all my investigating, and here is what I have found to be true. Now, while the life, the ministry, the events surrounding Jesus of Nazareth, again, have taken the first century by storm, everybody is talking about this, we're still left with the question of why. Why has Luke undertaken such a task? With all the other people who are writing about Jesus, why has Luke taken up this mantle and gone to such great lengths to tell people about these events? Well, if we continue on in verse 3 and 4 of Luke chapter 1, we see why. He says that he has followed all things closely for some time. And he is going to write an orderly account of those events. Then he continues, verse 3, For you, most excellent Theophilus, notice verse 4, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Right there we see why Luke is writing this. Here we begin to understand why. For Luke, writing the Gospels, his goal behind it, his motivation behind it is, well, there's a pastoral purpose. Luke is seeking to bring clarity for someone and some people. The someone is Theophilus. The some people are all those who Theophilus will share Luke's words with. But the goal here, again, is not just to write a book and not just to write a book about the most famous person in human history. Verse 4 makes it clear that Luke is writing this account for Theophilus and those he will share it with that they may have certainty concerning the things they have been taught. What verse 4 reveals to us 
is that Theophilus has been taught some things about Jesus. He has been taught some things about the Christian faith. And it seems that there is a type of certainty that he is looking for concerning the things that he has been taught. One could say Theophilus is on a faith journey. He's on a faith journey. He has faith to some degree, yes. But he's seeking to understand his faith. Have you ever been there? You ever found yourself in that place where you have faith, but you're not exactly sure why you believe what you believe? Maybe you and I have more in common with Theophilus than what we realize. I think we've all been there, and it's actually a healthy place to be, where we say, yes, I believe, but why do I believe what I believe? Maybe today you find yourself in a place where you actually want to believe You just struggle with it. Or maybe you once believed in the past and somehow that's now far gone from you. But I would say this, if you find yourself in a place where you're not sure, many times that uncertainty is a good thing. It is a good thing because it causes us to search. It compels us to search because we have a desire to verify the things we have been taught. And again, if you find yourself there today, in a place where you have faith, but you're not, under, you're not sure you understand why you believe what you believe, you're in a good place. And you're in good company. You're in a good place because the Christian faith is not a blind faith. You're in a good place because the Christian faith is one that you can look at. It is one that you can analyze. It is one that you can scrutinize. And then you find yourself at a place where you have to make a choice. You see, God has made a choice to speak to us. Luke made a choice to write this gospel. Theophilus made a choice, more than likely, to fund the first century physician named Luke to actually investigate all these claims that he might gain a little more certainty about his faith. God has made a choice. Luke has made a choice. Theophilus has made a choice. And now it's our turn. Now it's our turn. It's our turn to investigate the things that have happened and then see what we may find. And then we make a choice. We make a choice about what we believe. We make a choice about who we will follow. You see, if you read Luke 1, 1 through 4, many times we just read through that kind of quickly to get on to the the good stuff. But in Luke 1, 1 through 4, there are four things that I think are really important. There are four facets of the Christian faith that actually encourage me in Luke's beginning words here. I want to give them to you. Number one is this. The first thing I would say whenever I read Luke's opening words is that our faith is grounded in and has ancient roots. Ancient roots. I think this is important. Our minds are programmed by our culture to want the new thing, the new phone, the new car, the new whatever. We are programmed and marketed to by our culture to want the new thing until we reach a certain age and stage in life when nostalgia sets in, then we want the good old days, right? And we all kind of experience that in different ways. But our culture tells us to want the new thing. Notice I said that our faith has ancient roots, ancient roots. Our faith has ancient deep roots in history that then spring up and bring fresh fruit and flourishing in every century and in every culture. And personally, uh, I find encouragement from this. I like the stability. 
of the ancient roots of our faith. And while I think that stability is important, what is also important is the fresh manifestations of our faith. And me personally, I find stability in the ancient roots and I find inspiration in the fresh manifestations of our faith. And I think both are crucial. If we don't have any roots, then we're just a part of a fad that's going to fade. And there's a lot of spirituality out there and causes out there that they're just going to fade over time. But if you have no fresh manifestations of your faith, then maybe the root is dead. That's why Christianity is always ancient and always relevant at the same time. Our faith is grounded in history, and a part of that history is what God has been doing to bring salvation to the world. Number two is that our faith is grounded in that salvation. It's grounded in salvation. Notice Luke uses the language. He's talking about the things that have been accomplished among us, accomplished among us. You see, whether you believe that Jesus is the Savior or not, the purpose of Jesus is actually clear. The Jesus story is a story about the saving of something or someone or some people. I think if we're being honest, that much is clear. And while we have to decide whether or not we actually believe Jesus is who he claimed to be, I think a semi-honest consideration of Christianity will show you that at the center of our faith are sinners that become saints because of a Savior. That's right at the core of what we believe, and that is true Christianity. True Christianity is that the lost can be found, that those who are in bondage can be set free, that those who are wounded can be healed, that those who have sinned can be forgiven, that those who are dead can be brought to life because of Jesus, because of him. And so while our faith has ancient roots, our faith is also grounded in this story of salvation, what God has been doing throughout human history, culminating in the life of Jesus, and then calling people to come and follow him. Number three, our faith is grounded in God-given divine assurance. It's God-given, but is divine assurance. You see, Luke wanted Theophilus to be certain. To be certain. God wants you, I think, to be certain. But what does that mean? What does that actually mean for us today? Many times in our culture today, when we think of certainty, we mean every question answered, every mystery known. That's what we mean by certainty most of the time. Every question answered, every mystery known. Well, that's actually not the kind of certainty that Luke is writing about in verse 4 when he says to Theophilus that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. The Greek word here is epignos. It means to recognize something as true. To recognize something as true. The best way I can explain it is like this. Epignos means to see rays of sunshine in the morning and know that the sun is sending them, even when you can't see the sun. For me, it means to see a silhouette of a person and be able to recognize that person, even though it's dark. To recognize that something 
is true. That's the kind of certainty that God wants to give us. A lot of times we want God to give us certainty and we want those certainties based off our doubts. The problem there is that our doubts do not dictate God's actions. But God does give us certainty and with that comes assurance that God himself is the source and that we see him and that we know that it is him moving. You see, sometimes the certainty God gives us is not that we understand every mystery, but that we know for certain that God is behind every mystery and that God has a cause, a reason for every mystery. And that is the assurance that God loves to give his children. Even we, when we do not understand the mechanics of how something is working, we understand that God is at work. And so our faith is grounded. It has ancient roots. It's grounded in the story of salvation. It's also grounded in God-given divine assurance that he loves to give his children. But number four is this, is that our faith is grounded in God's words that produce God's actions in the world. It's grounded in God's word. And when God speaks, it produces something. It moves. There's action behind it. You see, Luke wants to know what has God said. That's what he's investigating. Because if he knows what God has said, he will see what God has done. He's investigating this closely, he says. That's why he puts quill and ink to parchment. He wants to know what has God said and what has God done based off what God has said. You know, when Satan tempted our first parents, Adam and Eve, he did so with the question, did God really say? Did God really say? Matter of fact, the timeless transgression of each generation is simply to not know what God has said. And that's why we're on this journey. So that we may know what God has spoken to us, and that we may listen, take a journey with Jesus over a year, and listen to the primary megaphone that God uses to speak to his people. That's Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 says, in the past God spoke. We have a God who speaks. God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days he has spoken. God speaks. He has spoken to us by his son. He has spoken to us by his son. The question is, do we actually know what God has said? That's the question. Do we actually know, not just an inherited faith that's been handed down to us, but do we know what God has said? And here's the thing. The person that is responsible for you being, being able to answer that question and say yes, the person responsible for that is you. You. Don't get me wrong. I try to give you a healthy diet of God's word every week, every month, every year. But ultimately, we have to take responsibility and answer the question, do I know what God has said? Do I know? And I don't know where you are today. I don't know where you are with your faith. I don't know what it is that you're struggling with. I don't know what it is that you're questioning. I don't know what it is that you are doubting right now. I do not know. But the one thing I do know 
is that you can know. You can know who this God is. And when we look, I call it the primary megaphone. When we look at Jesus and we listen to him, his story, his words in our life, that's when we can see. And that's when we can say, I know what God has said. And as we take this journey together, day after day after day, what is instilled into our soul are the very words of God. What is imparted into us is the very character and nature of God. And that's what we want. Because I want you to be able to answer the question, what did God say? What did he say to me? Amen? Father, would you help us? Would you help us be honest and ask the question, What did you say? And would you be honest and help us answer that question with clarity? Lord, we thank you that we have a faith that's that's not just some new thing that has emerged. It has ancient roots. We thank you that we have a faith that does not leave us helpless or hopeless, but it brings salvation to us. Lord, we're thankful that we have a faith where you give divine assurance to each of us. Lord, we're thankful that we have a faith that truly believes that you speak and that we can listen, that we can hear, that we can comprehend. And so, Lord, while we're on our journey, not just over this next year, but through life, I pray that we would hear you speak clearly to us. Lord, our challenge today is to engage you once again. And then wake up tomorrow and do it again. Wake up Tuesday and do it again. Simply so we may know. Help us. Help us know. I pray this in Jesus' good and powerful name. And everybody said.